Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. This is your host, Funch. And today is a really special... Today we have a really, really special guest, actually. Um, a pro- probably the most prominent guest we've ever had on the show, actually. And, uh, you know, where do you even start? She's the youngest ever singles finalist uh, in a major at 16 years of age. She's won a whopping 21 major doubles titles, 20 of them with the great Martina Navratilova. You know, a remarkable singles career as well, you know, winning 21 singles titles, nine major semis, nine years in a row finishing inside the top 10, and five of those years inside the top five, all while competing in arguably the strongest era of women's tennis. But not only that, she's now one of the most highly recognized and top-tier pundits and analysts and respected voices in the sport, a broadcaster for ESPN and Tennis Channel, and it is my great pleasure and honor to welcome the one and only legendary Pam Shriver. Hello there, Pam. Thank you so much for that great introduction. I've enjoyed getting to know you uh, through social media platforms, my Twitter space, and it's good to be on your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate having you, and I'm sure our listeners will absolutely love this. Um, as you can tell, I'm probably really, ner- I'm really, really nervous because uh, you know it's one thing talking to current players of generation, all roughly around my age, but it's another thing talking to someone as decorated as yourself to an old lady. Just say it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but. I wanted to ask you, of course, about the year-end championships on the WTA that just took place in in Fort Worth, Texas. And, you know, what what were your thoughts and impressions about the tournament as a whole? Obviously, um, the venue and everything sort of came together for the WTA at the last minute uh, with, you know, with them not being in China, obviously, for the Peng Shui incident and, you know, and also the last couple of years missed because of COVID. So just what were your general thoughts on, on the tournament as a whole? Yeah, listen, it's a complicated time for... Uh, certain events on the WTA tour, none more important than our WTA tour finals. Um, when I played, it was in Madison Square Garden in New York City. It was such a stable, big time event um, that people knew was coming to town. They marked their calendars. They had years to plan because we were there year after year after year. This is a different time. You know, obviously Fort Worth, They didn't know they were hosting it two months ago. They'd never hosted it before. They became the 12th city to host it. So I know there was a lot of criticism the first day or two. The crowds weren't great. The first night they had the session, it was on Halloween, which is about as big a family holiday in this country where people are either home with their home managing the trick-or-treaters or they're out with their kids you know, knocking on doors. They're not generally on Halloween watching tennis. So I think it was a rough night to start. And I know some people said, then why start it on Halloween? Start it on the Tuesday or start it on the Sunday. But 
you know, these decisions are made and whatever. But I thought in the end, the event grew, uh, the crowds grew, the atmosphere grew. And I really thought by the end, for having two months and playing an arena that had never hosted tennis before, I take my hat, my Western cap off to Fort Worth for hosting a great WTA tour final under very difficult circumstances. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I was absolutely delighted to see that, you know, the attendance went way up, especially the last couple of days. And we had, we had a really, you know, really enjoyable and high quality final between Caroline and Garcia and Arena Sabalenka. So, you know, what were your thoughts on on the final as a whole? Obviously, a very well-deserving champion in Caroline Garcia. She's been on an absolute tear since June, you know, winning the most matches of anyone uh, on the tour. And obviously, Arena Sabalenka pulling off the upset against uh, Sviantec. And, you know, obviously, if you go back and see, you know, the the improvements that Sabalenka has made, especially in her serve. And, you know, we all remember in January, she could barely barely serve at all. I mean, just like 20 plus double faults and multiple matches in January just to see where both of them have come from. Uh, and Garcia being ranked outside the top 70. Um, must be a great feeling for both of those to end on such a high note. I thought it was an amazing final. There are stories uh, to get to the final eight. You know, Sabalenka at the start of the year ranked two, you would have figured she would have made it. But then when you watched her in Adelaide, like I was concerned for her. I thought she needed to like just step away and regroup and not even play Melbourne. But I totally admire how Sabalenka just didn't avoid. She didn't go into avoidance mode. She sort of faced her fear, faced her demons, hired a biomechanics specialist midway through the year to help her probably did a fair bit of, you know, visualization and, you know, some different kind of training because even though she'd had issues with double faults before, nothing like what we saw in Adelaide in January. And to think that she was able to qualify, I know one of the last couple of spots, but she was able to qualify in the final eight was a great accomplishment, much less end up in the finals. Then you have Garcia. And as you mentioned, Going into Roland Garros, she's out of the top 70. While she was in the top five in 2017, you know, she she was just too erratic. And then all of a sudden, it comes together for her. And for them to face off in the finals of the biggest women's only event of the year, I thought was pretty compelling. And I thought the finals, how many times do you see a match with one break point? On either tour, hardly ever. So I found the finals really entertaining. Lindsay Davenport and I called it together for Tennis Channel. And I'll remember that final for a long time. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And obviously, um, you know, it was, was a very close match. Um, you know, what do you think really uh, swung it in the end for Garcia? Obviously, uh, you know, like you mentioned, no break points. Uh, Garcia say, uh, faced throughout the whole match. And they go to a tie break and Sabalenka's two love up and you know, obviously everyone will talk, probably I've heard a lot of people talk about the two double faults that Sabalenka had in the, uh, in the, yeah. in the tie break and, uh, played one fantastic point early on and then kind of wasn't the same for a little bit of time. And that was kind of enough. Yeah. I mean, listen, who can afford to serve two double faults in a tie break and expect to win it? So that's really where it flipped. I mean, I thought 12 holds in a row was pretty outstanding. 
to love up. And then maybe she felt some of that anxiety, Sabalenka, to love up. But, um, you know, she didn't serve that many double faults other than the two in the tie break. But all you need is two at the worst time in a final. And that can be enough. But I thought uh, the way she played, you know, the second set, I guess, you know, the one break point she faced, she was broken early. And then Garcia, what does she do? She had some complicated service games towards the end. But I thought the way she, you know, served out the last couple of service games was pretty brave. And she stuck true to her conviction on how she's to play, which is to obviously take the ball as early as possible to play full court offensive tennis. And, you know, to go from, you know, June is an incredible time to be outside the top 70 and still qualify for the year-ending championships. And then to have her win it, to me, it's just another example how this era of women's tennis is by far the most unpredictable time. Even with Spiontech's year, it's still an unpredictable time. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, all, all, all fantastic points. And obviously, congratulations to Caroline Garcia, who's now won a title on, you know, every surface since June. And and, and obviously, you know, I think another talking point uh, for many is, you know, obviously, it's a fantastic achievement to win this title. But will she be able to carry this form now into the Australian Open uh, next year? Obviously, we had Muguruza win this event last year and Garcia herself doing extremely well in 2017. And of course, many other examples. But now, they, both of these players have got to keep this form bottled up uh, for the first major of the year and sustain it throughout the off season, which is going to be tough. Well, and this is the biggest thing that I struggle with because, you know, as you, as you mentioned when you were talking about the era that I played, starting in the late seventies, eighties to mid nineties, when a player was successful at the major level became one or two in the world they grew in confidence they 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 felt like it was just the beginning and they could just repeat that kind of quality performance time and time again and i can't figure out why it is right now that for the most part the pattern is except for Barty and Sviantec obviously Serena but you know her last five years has been you know but obviously Serena proved that she could stay at the top and perform with the burdens of expectations of a top player. But I really am struggling to understand why, you know, champion or runner-up finalist, so many of them in the, in the majors have had a tough time kind of living with the airspace of being a major champion or a major finalist or a top four player. I, I don't understand 100%. But I do understand that the quality of play, the depth between like number 20 in the world and number 120 in the world is by far the greatest it's ever been. And I don't know whether that affects the confidence of the top players, but, you know, to be determined if we can ever pinpoint why there's such so many swings. But anyway. It is what it is, and it's kind of fun to observe. And I want to know who's going to be able to step up and match Spiontek's consistency in 2023. 
Yeah, and that leads me to my next question, actually, about uh, about Iga. Obviously, um, Barty retiring from tennis uh, was a shock for many, and then the way Iga Shviatek was able to take that mantle and be num- not just be number one, but go on that stunning thirty-seven match winning streak, and uh, you know, prove herself on on hard courts, win the U.S. Open, and just one of the best seasons I've ever seen from a non-Serena Williams tennis player since two thousand seven, Justine Anand. And you know, I mean, it's it, it's pretty remarkable how she was able to sustain it for so long, uh, you know, despite obviously it all caught up to her in the end against Sabalenka in the semis. But um, yeah, just what what are your thoughts on this stunning season we've seen? Well, it's the most unusual. There's to me, there's been only one other time where you could compare, which was when Justine Anna retired one month before the French Open of 08, which and she retired, she announced her sudden retirement like Barty at the number one position. But in 08, it, it really represented a time of instability for the number one ranking until Serena grabbed it back. Um, this time, it was seamless. And it was almost like Shibiontech was Bart, uh, was Ash Barty's understudy. Like she was totally ready to go um because the number one ranking between Barty and Triantec at one point between Barty's loss to Shelby Rogers from two breaks up in the final set at the U.S. Open 2021 mm-hmm. until uh Shviantek lost to Cornet in the third round of Wimbledon so that's from September U.S. Open to third round Wimbledon the number one ranking didn't lose a match. Like that doesn't, you know, maybe Navratilova did it back in the year. She almost won the calendar year grand slam. Steffi Groff didn't go undefeated in 88. But so, I mean, it was a crazy dominance bet- shared between Barty and Spiontek. But, you know, for the 21 year old from Poland to step into this leadership position on the court, off the court was astonishing to watch how she just grabbed a hold of it and ran with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see next year, you know, who are the players that really step up and, uh, and you know, challenge her and whether how much of this success is she's able to repeat and points to defend. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, Pam, but I had this inkling at the end of 2019. I mean, we saw Barty and Andrescu and, of course, Naomi Osaka and so many other talented players come up and it really felt like we were going to have a continuation of rivalries and some big matches that, um, you know, casual tennis fans and, you know, fans who maybe only watched the U.S. Open final or Wimbledon final would tune in and they'd, you know, you'd have this really cool thing where you'd root for one, they'd each have their own sides and we'd have so many of these repeated matches in semis and finals and, you know, we have great depth and, awesome players and you know it was an intriguing WTA finals but um do you think perhaps you know with the return of if Osaka can ever get back to where she was and Andrescu and uh, obviously Barty is retired but you had players like Kennan and Brady and Mukova and Krichikova I mean they've all shown us so many flashes so it's very interesting to see the tennis landscape right now and it's hard to really predict Hard to predict. That should be the mantra of the last few years. 
I mean, I, I think one of the things I feel like we can predict is that Shiontek's going to be ready to go. She's going to be rested, prepared. She's a she's become a young pro with a team around her to know how to schedule the right way, train the right way, train physically, mentally, psychologically, every aspect. So I kind of feel like Shiontek. I don't expect her to back up. It's up to numbers two through 100 in the rankings to figure out how they're going to step up uh, and become even more professional in every aspect from footwork to mindset training to knowing when to rest your body, when to push your body. It's, it, listen, it's a complicated, it's a complicated thing to know how to do it just right. Yeah, but you know, I, I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to 2023 because I feel like we don't know who it is, but somebody's going to step up. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, that, you, you know, you transition really nicely to my next question actually because i was going to ask about you know managing your body and um and sort of the ebbs and flows of the season and with regards to coco golf and jessica pagula who were obviously you know big storylines coming into this event uh had phenomenal seasons great achievement by both to finish you know where they did in the top 10 in singles and doubles but just watching coco golf this week you could really tell that it was really the fatigue was really getting to her and you know, the forehand, uh, many issues like catching it super late. And obviously we've known about the forehand being a, being one of the weakest shots of her, the, the weakest shot of her game for a while. But do you think perhaps playing so much at this time of the year with, you know, I think 60 singles matches, 41 doubles matches, four mixed doubles, and now she's playing at the Billie Jean King Cup. I just wonder how sustainable this is for many years. I mean, we saw Barbora Krajikova last year, you know, play a similar season like this and singles and doubles and it all caught up to her eventually. And she was, she had to miss most of this year. So I, I, I wish Coco the best, but uh, how do you see this sort of long-term? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, Coco made a transition from being a player protected in the uh, age eligibility rule. So she couldn't play. Yeah as much as a full-time player. And then this year she's been allowed to do whatever. And 
you know, I saw her in San Diego. I'm in L.A., so I drove down to San Diego, not as a worker, not as a commentator, not as anything but a fan and an interested spectator in women's tennis. And what I observed was somebody who was, like, a little fatigued. And then to go to Guadalajara at 5,000 feet, play at altitude, and then go to Fort Worth, singles and doubles it was just a lot to ask of somebody playing their first full time year on the tour but um you know overall i'm still i if i had to if i had to buy a stock in coco golf i'd buy a stock in coco coco golf but i do think people around her need to be a little bit wary of some of the traps of playing too much of not giving enough just off time, just break time, you know, normal 18-year-old kid playtime development. Um, and it's not easy, right? It's not easy to juggle. Um, but, you know, I'm a little bit concerned. But, you know, I kind of figure out with the team they have around them, they'll manage it and end up at the right answer. But. Listen, I got to the finals of the U.S. Open when I was 16. 16, playing my second major, I got to the finals. If somebody had told me then that it would be my only final of a major, I would have told them, no way. I'm going to get to a finals of a major and win majors many times. There's no guarantees in this sport. And that's something that everybody from the player to the parents, to the team, to the coaches, everybody needs to know. There's no guarantees. Yeah. Um, you know, great point. And obviously you had a fantastic career, so you can, <laughs> you can be really proud of, of what you achieved, but yeah, that is something to keep in mind, especially for Coco and the people around her. And, um, you know, and how about how about Jessica Pagula finishing the year as number three and having such a um, you know fantastic season for her, winning the title in Guadalajara and um, you know really sort of fulfilling her utmost potential at twenty eight years of age. It's it's been nice to see. Yeah, Pagula is one of my players of the year. <clears throat> you know the way she's consistently gone about her business. I think she was just exhausted going into Fort Worth. I mean, I feel badly that she didn't have a better experience at the WTA Tour Finals as a first-time participant, but take nothing away from Jess Pagula's year. She was literally one of the rocks you could count on on the tour. You know, to be there and to consistently get through to the quarters, semis, finals, I love that she won Guadalajara. She hadn't won a tour title in over three years. You know, and to finish the year in the top four and to have not won a title would have been like, you know, what's going on? But, you know, she snuck out that great win. And, she, you know, she's been a great leader in both events, singles and doubles. She's on the WTA Tour Player Council. So she's a leader on the court, off the court. and. You know, I, I have utmost respect. I felt, you know, as a, as watching her in the play-by-play position last week for Tennis Channel, I felt really badly. I knew what, I knew she was on empty, 
but then you you still like want to figure out like why can't can can she figure out a way to just adrenaline 101 one more time but obviously she couldn't and i don't think she was feeling well and she was tired and it's understandable given her year but she's one of my stars of 2022 yeah very very well said and uh I, I, you know, there is obviously we have this off season, and then you know uh, we we've had different starts to January recently with the ATP Cup, um, and before that we had the Hopman Cup, and we have all these team events now with the Davis Cup and Labor Cup, and obviously finding a time during the year that is ideal for players. It's it's really tough to do, and tennis has really had to you know has really struggled to sort of come together as one and. You know, and we've seen that the, our strongest events in tennis are the combined events. When you have the ATP and the WTA, the best players in the world competing for the best prizes and, you know, really coming together and tennis fans can really appreciate both tours. So now we have the United Cup um, starting in the early part of January. And what are your initial thoughts and reflections on the, this uh, tournament and this? Uh, and obviously there's going to be points and the best players from each country and you know how do you how do you see this panning out well anytime tennis is united is that's a thumbs up for me um we we haven't seen enough of it through the years it's what makes tennis distinctive is mm-hmm. that men and women many weeks compete on equal terms you know at the majors at other 1000 events no other sport can say that so when the men kind of get like whatever it is, like, okay, what makes us as a sport distinctive? We're partners. And it's not like, you know, we expect women to serve or to move or to have the physical st- same strength as men. It's impossible given things, right? It's impossible. Yeah. But, you know, a united team event is meant to be. I mean, it's basically the Hopman Cup with a couple years break. And the Hopman Cup, when it left, there were so many tennis people that were just so saddened that mm-hmm. it left. And I can remember that last match point of the Hopman Cup, the last year in Perth between, I think it was Germany and Switzerland, Kerber, Federer, and their partners, maybe it was Zverev and Benchich, I don't know, but it was yeah. the two players, the two athletes I remember was Kerber and Federer, and they played this point. It was one of the great match points of all time in any match, especially a doubles match. And then that was the end of the Hopman Cup. Why? But anyway, the sport came, it always takes a little bit of time, but they finally realized that this has great value, men and women competing on the same team. So I'm all in. Um, I'm in touch with some players who are, who are in the United Cup who are so excited to have guaranteed match play before, you know, the Australian Open. So I think it's a win, win, win on all categories. Yeah, I'm just as hyped and excited and super positive about it as you are. I just probably have just one um, one thing that I'm a little bit skeptical about, which is the, obviously, I mean, the selection of the countries and the players participating is based on ranking. And obviously you have some countries like Tunisia and Greece where, you know, the second best player is 
you know, outside the top 500 and, and they're essentially getting in on the merit of like a Stefano Tsitsipas or a Ons Jabor. So how do you think we can resolve some of those like fairness issues? And obviously it's, it's a tricky thing to do, um, but it probably is something to consider. Well, you know, fairness, equality, it's always, it's always hard to figure out, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes it can be pretty clear for some and not for others. Um, I, I don't necessarily have an answer for that, except I feel like good conversations in private that are collaborative, that involve, you know, many of the um, constituents is always the best way. So I don't know. I don't have any, I don't have any answer to that one. Obviously, Pam, you've done um, some great work with your platform and, you know, spreading awareness on um, safeguarding issues in women's tennis and the, um, you know, obviously you've gone through through a tough time, you know, in your teenage years, um, dealing with an emotional relationship um, and abusive at times. So, you know, what what is what was your sort of your your message to listeners and female coaches? Um, I mean, sorry, female players and, you know, male coaches and safeguarding in general on the WTA and the actions being taken currently. Yeah, we need to do a better job. We need to do a better job for our players, for our coaches, for for the parents of the players. Um, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard topic. You know, in my situation... You know, my mom loved tennis. She played it. She loved it. She would have enjoyed being with me at every tournament. But my sister was eight and a half years younger than me. So my mom, being a traditional mom, she wasn't going to leave home. And so this can happen still today in 2022. So parents entrust their young athletes, musicians, dancers, whatever they're gifted in, to adults. And we need to know that these adults are safe, you know, that they have passed all safeguarding, you know, uh, courses, credentialing. They understand, you know, everything about safeguarding. And they need to they need to commit to staying, you know, safe and keeping within the boundaries of just being a coach or just being a, you know, team member responsible for whether it's training, physical therapy, mindset training, whatever. That's my belief. And once the lines are blurred, it's it's really complicated for the young athlete. And the lines were blurred for me. And this is back in the late 70s. Before we knew a lot about safeguarding, and we know a lot more now, 40 years, 40 some odd years later. So my hope is that, you know, all the entities of tennis come together and realize that we can set up better workplace standards. Because, you know, our workplace as a professional tennis player is different. It's not like a corporate workplace. It's not like you walk into you know, a big corporation, you punch in 
you know, the time clock or whatever, and you've got human resources looking over you. This is where we're independent contractors, but we're young people, athletes, young people, vulnerable in a workplace. So we need to figure this out, how to make it safer. And I do think slowly, unfortunately, the, my, one of my issues is that things happen, you know, too slowly in our sport, but I'm, I'm trying to be patient while pushing behind the scenes and networking and just building relationships with people that I feel like can make a difference because I don't want, whether it's what Yelena Dockich went through with her dad and she spoke up about recently about the abusive situation of that young Chinese young player whose dad abused her on the court and it was shot you know, on someone's iPhone and it was posted on social media, it went kind of viral. It's like that shouldn't happen. And Yelena Dockich spoke up and like, we all need to have our own part of making the workplace and making tennis safer, all sports safer for kids and young adults. Extremely well said. And hopefully the rest of the tennis community uh, echoes your words and we share this message and um, hopefully people are getting the help that they need. And I really appreciate you pushing this, uh, th this forward because it's, it's really important. So it is, it is important. Thank you for letting me speak about it. Yeah. Um, my pleasure. And it was, it was wonderful to have you here and, you know, talk about some of these important events happening in tennis. And it's always great to hear your insights and takes. And I really look forward to hopefully having you again some point next year. For sure. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah.